Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Sheldon. Today on the podcast, we'll be donning our deerstalker hats and using our little gray cells to try and solve the mystery at the heart of Knives Out, the latest film from director Ryan Johnson. But first, how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, Scott. You know, it's been nice being home for Thanksgiving. Uh, we did record our Irishman episode the other day and getting to wrap up thanksgiving with a with another episode here with knives out which we did see together uh we were joking about uh which which movie we would see together and knives out was going to be our token movie to see together over thanksgiving it was that it was a it was a it was a fun time at the theater and we'll obviously be going into to more details here in a bit but just generally speaking doing well seeing a ton of movies over the last week and a half or so and uh, I don't think that's going to change. I think after we record today, I'm going to go see Queen and Slim. So keep it coming. Yeah, it, it was a fun time at the theater, especially when they showed the bombshell trailer back to back. Uh, we saw <laughs> yeah. the same trailer twice in a row, which was interesting. Uh, like I like I made the joke to Scott at the time. I think the fact that it was bombshell makes me think, you know, liberal propaganda, right? This is the future that liberals want right here. Yeah, I mean, I also went and saw Jojo Rabbit at the same theater yesterday, and they showed the bombshell trailer trailer again twice uh, in front of the film. So I don't know what's going on there. It's just no, really I, weird. Honestly, I am just waiting for some like alt right Twitter account to to start calling out theaters for doing this and saying that it's part of some liberal conspiracy. Love it. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm sure you could go find that somewhere. It's already happened. Yeah, probably so. Um, okay, Scott. Well, without further ado. Let's round up the suspects and get to our review of Knives Out. And I should say up front that because of the nature of this movie, because it is a murder mystery, we're going to be taking the kid gloves off from the beginning and we will be talking spoilers for the entire review. Um, so please, if you haven't seen Knives Out yet, um, please wait uh, and come back and listen to this episode after you've seen the film. All right, let's get into it. Knives Out is director Ryan Johnson's first film since the not at all controversial Star Wars The Last Jedi. And as mentioned, it's a drawing room whodunit in the style of Agatha Christie. The story centers on the eccentric Thromby family who is thrown into chaos when the patriarch of the family, Harlan, played by Christopher Plummer, is found dead after his 85th birthday party in an apparent suicide. The police detectives who arrive at the scene would seem to agree with this explanation, but country, country fried private eye Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, is not so sure. He suspects foul play, and not just foul play, but foul play at the hands of one of Harlan's family members. But who is it? Is it Harlan's trusted daughter, Linda, played by Jamie Lee Curtis? Is it his hot-headed grandson, Ransom, played by Chris Evans? Or is it the family's chief suspect, Harlan's immigrant nurse, Marta, played by Ana de Armas? These and more are among the suspects that Blanc must sift through if he and the audience are to solve the mystery of what really happened to Harlan. But Scott, my question for you is, did you care enough to solve the mystery? Or did you find Knives Out to be a bunch of empty parlor tricks dressed up with fancy trappings? I'll just say that's a lot of words there at the end. Uh, no, I, so I, I guess to start off before I talk specifically about Knives Out, I mean, Ryan Johnson, you mentioned 
him, you know, obviously directing the last Jedi and that dividing the star, the star Wars fandom uh, pretty cleanly in, in half, at least, or, I mean, maybe a little bit more than half one way and less one half the other. But the, the point is Ryan Johnson is making, if not unique films, then very much films with his own flavor, with his own take. He writes most of the films that he does. I know he didn't write the last Jedi, I don't think, but uh, he, he really is a, a writer director, much, much the likes of a Quentin Tarantino or, uh, who's another one who writes and directs like all of his films, uh, Wes Anderson, yeah. someone like that. So he, he's definitely in that auteur category uh, for me. And, and I remember the first film that I ever saw by him was Looper. Loved that movie. Uh, it just missed out on my top 50 list, I, I think, from the, that we did over the summer. But I do. I just adore the films that he makes. I think that they're really interesting, much more interesting than a lot of the films being made out there. Uh, and especially when someone like him can can make a whodunit like this, which is a genre that you and I both love dearly and, and really enjoyed like e- even if i kind of wanted more from murder on the orient express that's still it was still so good and, and part of that is just because one the source material with agatha christie but but two just the genre itself is just it lends itself to a good time at the movie theater and that's exactly what knives out was and, and in fact i think it was in my opinion i know that you might disagree with it a little bit because you liked it a little more than i did but uh and that being of course murder on the orient express that i thought it was much better than murder on the orient express it was it kind of filled in some of the gaps that i thought that had in terms of its the production value or and, and some of the, and some of the performances not being too over the top although of course there were some over the top performances for sure but it all just kind of pieced together a little bit better for me and created a, a more enjoyable experience and and knives out was just that i mean you talk about you know you know was it interesting enough to solve it and and i think that it, it knives out and i find this way with a lot with ryan johnson's films is that they're so interesting and well weaved together that i, I found myself just kind of sitting back and just enjoying the whole experience i didn't find myself uh too often trying to jump ahead of ahead of the game and, and trying to figure it out. And that's because I was just so engrossed and engaged with not just the specific whodunit mystery that's taking place on screen, but also these just kind of enjoying these characters because they are really, uh, really fascinating, really interesting, well put together, uh, engaging characters for the most part. And it's a full ensemble. You, you know, you listed some of them there, but there really is an ensemble of characters that are worth watching, that are worth engaging with and are kind of just hilarious to see devolve on screen as, as different facets of the story come to light and different elements come in. And I think that I was reading a review of this film and I forget which outlet, so I apologize, but or maybe it was maybe it was even the Rotten Tomatoes summary. I'm not sure, but it was talking about how Knives Out is less of it is stylish, but it's less of a stylish whodunit mystery than it is just a really smart one. And I think that that is really well put together. It's not going to wow you when it pieces all the pu- all the different pieces of the puzzle together at the end of the film, but it's going to show you how smart and how cleverly uh, composed the story was to give you all you know to to feed the breadcrumb to give you the breadcrumbs to, to give you all the clues that you needed at the beginning to, to piece it together, which I think is very possible to do if you are uh, engaging in the right way. And, and then the big reveal at the end is less of a big reveal and more just a, you know, Ryan Johnson's a, a really smart writer and really a smart crafter of a story. And uh, along the way, I haven't really said this yet. It's hilarious. It's a hilarious movie. Uh, and so I just really loved this film. Yeah, Scott. Uh, first of all, Ryan Johnson did write the Last Jedi, but um, oh, he did write the Last Jedi. Yes, he did. Um, Suck but, it, Lawrence Kasdan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure fans would have been much more happy if he had written it. But um, oh, yeah, Scott. You know, as you mentioned, I'm also a big fan of whodunits. Um, I think that you know, ever since I could read, 
these sorts of mystery novels were what I read. You know, I started with like the Boxcar Children. I moved on to Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. And then eventually, probably around the time I got to middle school is when I started reading the Agatha Christie books and particularly the Hercule Poirot books. You know, you mentioned Murder on the Orient Express there is perhaps the most famous. Um, and I think Knives Out is very much in the tradition of those Agatha Christie drawing room mysteries. You know, everybody in one location for the most part. Uh, and you have the eccentric detective who, you know, is is trying to figure uh, out what happened, what, you know, what happened to someone within this one location. Um, and it has some fun little twists on the format and some little satirical moments a little bit um, where it, you know, maybe pokes fun at some of the tropes of the um, whodunit genre of this type of movie. But at the same time, it's still just a really solid example of the genre as well. And yeah, I do think I mean, while I enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express more, and I'm looking forward to Death on the Nile next year, I think that um, this is a better film um, than that Murder on the Orient Express was. Uh, I do agree with that. I think, um, as you said, a, a lot of the fun comes from the sort of ingenious plotting that Ryan Johnson uses um, throughout the movie and um, the twists and turns that his script takes. And I think you're right on talking about the ending and the reveal that... Um, maybe I wasn't like totally satisfied with like who the culprit ended up being, but seeing uh, the way that everything was put together um, and some of the little moments that um, you didn't really think much of when you saw them in the movie, but seeing how they ultimately did feed into the ending and they were clues the whole time. That's always one of the great joys of these types of whodunit movies. And it does make you want to go back and watch them a second time just to see exactly how well constructed they were. And now knowing the ending, you know, does it all fit together when you watch it from the beginning chronologically? Um, yeah. And, and I've heard that there, well, one, I've heard that it does and it, it yeah. felt that way in the moment, but two, I've also heard that there's little things that you, it's hard to catch the first time that aren't necessarily hints towards what's actually happened at the end of the movie, but, but more things to pick up on and enjoy on a second watch that you might've been too dialed into what's happening on screen to really kind of zoom out and, and see everything that was going on. But go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I'm not surprised to hear that it probably does all fit together because that's that's Ryan Johnson. Uh, that's his M.O. I, I think that he is one of our best directors working right now. Um, I love The Last Jedi. But I think that this is a smart play for him making a movie like this because kind of like we talk a, about with Ford versus Ferrari, I don't think there's a lot that people are going to dislike in Knives Out. Um, I think that uh, this is a pretty accessible, definitely Ryan Johnson's most accessible film so far. And it's, you know, it's a fun mystery. It's an all-star cast. It's a movie that you can take your family to. Um, not like your young kids or anything, but like, you know, you can take your adolescent children to this movie and um, you can have a, a fun family movie outing uh, to see this movie, which I think is really what Ryan Johnson wants. And if you look at the way that this movie has been received, obviously critics are loving it, but it's got a 94% audience score. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an A minus cinema score, um, and yeah, so it's it's really striking a chord with audiences, and it's easy to see why. Like I said, I think this is a you know enjoyable film um, that there's not too much to dislike in, and like you said, very funny. One of the funniest movies of the year, despite not being explicitly a comedy. Um, there were definitely some of my favorite jokes um, that I've seen in a movie this year that we'll talk about. Um, and yeah, this so this is this movie is exactly what I wanted, Scott. We've been looking forward to this movie for a long time, uh, and Ryan Johnson absolutely absolutely delivers. It's one of the best uh, murder mystery movies 
that I've seen in quite a long time. Uh, and, and we haven't even we haven't even seen many of those. Like besides Murder on the Orient Express, how many other drawing room classic murder mysteries have we even had? Yeah, not not of the classical variety. I mean, you could go back to last year and say that searching was kind of that type. I mean, there wasn't explicitly a murder, but um, it's, yeah, it's not a whodunit though. It's not a whodunit, right? It's not it's not this sort of classical whodunit. Um, and and one of the interesting things about you know calling it a whodunit is that yes, ultimately it is kind of about whodunit, but and obviously this is getting into the spoilers for now. I I, I gave the warning up front, but um, you know, if you're still listening, turn it off now. Um. I he he almost sort of reveals who done it in a way like 50 minutes into the movie maybe and part of the and obviously that doesn't end up exactly being the explanation for what happened but uh the 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 mystery becomes almost not who did it but number one can a certain person quote unquote get away with it and second of all who was trying to do it maybe or who made an attempt at doing it? Um, it's it's kind of subverts the who traditional who done it format in that way because ultimately when we get to the end of the movie and we find out who the culprit is, they did they're not the one who actually killed Harlan, right? Like that there was not a murder that took place. It was a suicide ultimately. Um, and, Whew, really hope everyone turned it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I gave the warning twice. So. Yeah. No, it's um, true. It's true. It's true. It was a suicide. And so that is an interesting twist, I think, on the whodunit in that, you know, it's not exposing the murderer. It's, you know, exposing someone who had nefarious motives, but ultimately didn't carry out, um, you know, what their what their goal was, I guess. Um, And there's some social commentary. too. I I love I love how you're not saying you've spoiled the end of the movie. I mean, okay, it's Chris. It's Chris Evans. It's Ransom. but yeah, so but Marta is the one who, well, Marta was the, thought the one was the one who thought. Right. Was, and that's, and that's and my point, right? About 50 minutes, same. 50 minutes in, you get what you think is the explanation for the murder of Marta, um, you know, has, has given him the wrong pill and that's what's caused his death or that was what was going to cause his death. He just slit his throat to make it quicker. Um, but then of course, you know, things happen as, as you would expect from this type of mystery, but still it goes on for a long time with you basically with the story kind of being is Marta going to be able to cover her tracks? Because obviously she, you know, did this as an accident and she's an immigrant who's in this country, who, whose fa- family came to this country illegally and, and you know, risks being deported if yeah. she's found responsible for this crime. And that's where some of the social commentary comes in that we'll talk about. But now, Scott, um, anyway, that those are some of the things I like about the film. Yeah. And another thing I like about the film is the cast. And let's talk about um, some of the standout performers. Obviously, you have an all-star cast. I didn't even mention up front uh, you got Michael Shannon in there. Uh, you have Tony Collette, Catherine Langford, Lakeith Stanfield. Um, the list goes on and on. Don Johnson as well um, with a major role. Who did you like out of this all-star cast, Scott? Who stood out for you amongst a very talented bunch? Well, I got to say, the the person who probably had the most screen time and the most lines, definitely the lead performance for me, that's Jaden Martell. An absolute <laughs> presence on screen. That's Emmett Walsh as the uh, security guy. Oh, yeah, no. Oh gosh! I, yeah, it, or, it's, how it's, about shout out to Frank Oz as well, who plays the family's lawyer. The that, lawyer, uh, yeah. Who was just really like, can you can I just get out of here, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, for, I mean for me, if I if I had to pick my my absolute number one standout, it's Chris Evans. It's kind of what I thought that it would be uh, from from the trailer. I think that he was really let off the chain in my, in my letterbox review. Uh, one thing that I'm really proud of is that 
getting getting to call him America's ass in a different sense of sense of the the phrase uh, from Avengers Endgame earlier this year, of course, with the joke being made. And then I think it very much is appropriate here because this is a very different Chris Evans than uh, than your Captain America, than your Steve Rogers. And it's just a lot of fun to see him do this role. I think it's he he's one of the the last, I guess, main quote unquote characters to be introduced to the film because he doesn't come on screen until the will is read, which is about is that about halfway through the movie almost. I mean, he's he's not there for a good chunk of it. And I, yeah. I there is it really I really felt this building anticipation because he's a character that you get, you know, from in all the trailers. He's clearly going to be a very important character from the way he was advertised in the trailers. And I think he delivers on that. The fact that he just gets to completely let loose and and any any sort of pent up sarcasm or bad boy charm that he had to suppress uh, from his Captain America role gets to come out here. And it's it's pure. It's just pure enjoyment. That's not to say that other members of this cast aren't also, you know, don't also absolutely knock it out of the park. I think Ana de Armas, who's someone who I kind of became aware of, I guess, with Blade Runner 2049 a couple years ago, been kind of waiting for her to explode out into more roles. And I think this could be one. I mean, she has such a different role here as well, playing uh, this caretaker of of harlan who is thrust into a situation that she's you know wholly out of her depth in and and i think it's a very quiet and vulnerable role in in a film full of very aggressive and ostentatious people and i think it stands out in that sense in a really positive way because she's able to to balance that really well i think that you know don johnson is just I don't know. I feel like I've seen him in one or two very small roles recently. And it was kind of fun to get a little bit more of him. I, I remember watching him when I was growing up on you know reruns of Nash Bridges and really <laughs> really enjoying that show because my grandmother would always watch it whenever she was like uh, babysitting me basically. And it was so much fun to see grown up Don Johnson whenever I've come across him in the last few years. And I think that it's a fun role. And I think that I feel that way about a lot of this cast. But if I had to pick one person to be Chris Evans with uh, kind of an honorable mention going to Anadarmus. Yeah, my standouts, Scott, are uh, Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas and Michael Shannon. I think those were the people who stood out to me. Uh, Daniel Craig, first of all, is playing the, you know, the Sher- Sherlock Holmes, Hercule Poirot, uh, eccentric detective here. The joke, of course, being ultimately that he's not that great of a detective. Um, he, you know, from the beginning, he has this theory set out that it's murder and um, and that foul play happened and there is some sort of foul play, but Harlan wasn't murdered and he's wrong in the end. And he, he's wrong about a lot of the theories that he has, um, you know, as the case is progressing. However, he does sort of stumble into the right result at the end. And he does get to have um, this moment of, you know, like, like we see in those Her- 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 Hercule Poirot, Sherlock Holmes movies, where he just rattles off the entire theory of, or, or, I mean, the entire what happened and uh, fills in all the gaps and here's the story of the case and solves the mystery right there. Uh, so Ryan Johnson kind of has his cake and eats, eats it a little bit, uh, both with this character because, you know, he satirizes the eccentric detective as perhaps being not that great of a detective, but also lets him, you know, be a great detective in the end and solve the mystery. And that's okay because I think, um, you know, he's going for a little of column A, a little, little of column B here with this movie. Um, yeah. And Daniel Craig, we've never seen him with this type of uh, comedic chops before. And he's hilarious. He's the funniest character in the movie. He gets- uh, You didn't see Logan Lucky. He does okay. He does the similar okay. bit. That's true. Lucky. I didn't see that. Yeah. But uh, 
he gets the biggest laughs of the movie. I, I just really thoroughly enjoyed what he did with the character throughout the movie. It, it is a little over the top, but so is Hercule Poirot, right? So is Sherlock Holmes. Um, they're, they're weird, eccentric, bizarre characters. And I think the movie is faithful to that by, um, but you know, faithful to that trope of the, the genre by having yet another eccentric detective at the heart. Um, yeah, and I, I don't really have a problem with it, but I will say one one comeback to that would be that, yeah, but Hercule Poirot and Sherlock Holmes are set in a different time, and this is set in 2019. So, you know, who it, it feels more yeah, out of but, place. It feels more out of place in the movie than, uh, so so to speak. I mean, you have a very, very a bunch of very eccentric people who are in, yeah, this, that's, that's in cool. this family. So in that sense, it's not super set out, but it's a very different kind of eccentric than the rest of them. But I, I, it, it didn't bother me that much. It's just, it does stick out though. Cause you're just like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think the time period is necessarily what makes those guys eccentric. It gets some of their proclivities and, and habits and, you know, the way that they conduct themselves more. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, I really enjoyed Daniel Craig's performance. I also liked Ana de Armas. I think that um, there's some suspense to this character of, um, you know, she's she, obviously she's like one of the only characters in the movie that we can actually sort of root for um, because she, yes, she's we, we believe that she's committed this murder by accident um, and that she's trying to cover her tracks so she can stay in the country. And obviously that's something that we... Um, can root for, but there's still, there's still a suspense to her character as she's, you know, trying to cover her tracks and everything. Um, it, you know, it is, does she have any sort of ulterior motive? Because ultimately she is um, given everything in the will. And that is what leads the family to suspect her. And I think that's what would lead you to naturally suspect her in the course of one of these mysteries. Um, and, and also there's this gag, of course, with the character, which at first I sort of rolled my eyes about, but then I, I really liked the way that they ended up using it, that if she tells, if she tells a lie, then she vomits. Um, this seems to be a trend in, in 2019, Scott. I also uh, pointed out to you when we saw this, that this reminded me of Lily, Lily Reinhardt's character in Hustlers, who was always uh, surreptitiously vomiting, but um, a great gag in that movie as well. Yes. Uh, but here I, I rolled my eyes and I was like, okay, is this just some kind of dumb comedic bit that's going to happen throughout the movie? But the way that Ryan Johnson uses it is really clever because there are these various moments because obviously a lot of a lot of um, Marta's arc in the movie depends on her being deceptive and uh, bending the truth in talking to the detectives and the family and everything. And that's that's what makes uh, the gag work, I think, because we know that, you know, if she tells a lie, everyone's going to know immediately. So she, there are these scenes where she has to basically tell just enough of the truth to where it won't, you know, trigger that reflex, but also to where it doesn't give herself away. Harlan tells her at, at one point when he's trying to give her the explanation for what happened, you know, helping her out with, with her explanation just as, says, tell fragments of the truth. And that's exactly what she does. She she says statements that are true, but which don't tell the entire story. And I think that um, is, is clever. I will say there was one moment where I thought, okay, they kind of um, lean into it, which is when she ultimately, uh, Chris Evans uh, gets her away from the house. They go to this like restaurant and, and she, he, he, Chris Evans figures out that she knows something uh, more than what she's telling but he put and he puts his bucket in front of her and says, you know, tell the truth. Tell me the whole story right now. Um, but, but I guess the problem I had with that was why couldn't she have just done the exact same thing what she did to the detectives earlier? Because she told the detectives, you know, part of a story, right? She she inserted those fragments of the truth, but she didn't implicate herself. And 
I, you know, e even though he has the bucket there of like, I know that you vomit if you don't tell the truth, I felt like she could have done the exact same thing there and probably been perfectly fine. She didn't have to come out and tell Chris Evans the truth, the full truth, like she ultimately did. But she just um, ate all those beans. Yeah, but I mean, again, if she's if she's telling the truth, then she's not going to throw up. Well, uh, Ransom knows. I mean, Ransom knows that everything. I, you don't know that in the moment, but like you know that Ransom yeah. would, know, would have known if she was lying too. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Um, if she wasn't telling the full story, but right. Um, so, so I guess there is that. That was just kind of a, a minor thing that I picked up on. But yeah, on yeah day, I mean, that that guy. As much as I liked that bit as well, I think that it's not. A, it's really not a major complaint because I don't think I have too many major complaints about this film. Yeah. But I also think that there is a moment later on in the film where I guess that she and Ransom. Oh, because the, the because the is it the the lab or the morgue or what, whichever it was had been burned to the ground. Medical examiner. Yeah. The medical examiner's office has been like burned to the ground and ransom and her, like there's this like silly chase scene. It's just, it was absolutely ridiculous. Oh, I loved it though. Oh no. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in a good way. It's just like, it's, it's, that was <laughs> the dumbest car chase of all time. It's <laughs> great line from Lucky Stanfield. Stanfield. Uh, yeah. But at the end of it, she like tells, like he asked her, uh, uh, Daniel Craig's character, you know, Burblanc, Mr. Mr. Blanc, uh, Detective Blanc, asked her a question about, oh, did like Ransom tell you to drive uh, when you know I you saw you walk toward me? She like nods her head, which is a blatant lie, and then just is managed to like suppress the vomit. Right. Until yeah. Craig turns away, and it's just like, yeah, and that eh. happens again in the climax of the movie, sort of when she has suppresses to, like, the vomit. Right, and then you know up chucks all gets over the, gets the money shot on Chris Evans. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I I agree with that that he does kind of like. Uh, make an exception to the role a little bit um, in order to service the plot, but it's not that glaring. And uh, ultimately it was fine. And, but I enjoyed on today performances as a whole, as you said, I, I hope that this will lead to her getting more roles. Cause I think she's compelling here as sort of a second lead almost to Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc. If you can say that there's even a lead. And then Michael Shannon, I also enjoyed, um, I think I've probably said this before, but I find Michael Shannon to be a very hit or miss actor. I think there are some movies where I don't enjoy him at all and he's really not right for the role. Um, but then the movies where he is cast right, uh, he is spectacular. Uh, and I mean, Nocturnal Animals, that's one of like the best performances ever. Um, him as the sheriff in that movie is incredible. Um, and I think he's really good here too. I, I mean, I wouldn't use words like incredible because it's not that kind of a role, but um, he plays sort of the jilted son of, uh, of Harlan who has been like running his publishing company, but then is sort of phased out. Uh, and he's just kind of this like uptight um, guy who, who uh, doesn't respond well to sort of the, the chaos going on um, within his family and the big personalities that a lot of his other family members had. It's, it's more of a, he's one of the more reserved characters for sure in the cast. Um, and I appreciated the restraint that Michael Shannon showed. I like the scene where he, he's the one who goes to uh, Marta and tries to convince her to um, give up the, give the, give the inheritance back to the family and, you know, renounce her, her stake in the, in the inheritance. Um, yeah. I, the, the reserved characters in this movie, Michael Shannon and is it K uh, K Callens, a great Nana? The yes, true reserved very much so. Yeah. The movie. Um, so I enjoyed Michael Shannon. I thought he added some nice color to that role um, and was a nice change of pace from a lot of the other big personalities that we see in the cast. All right, Scott, let's move on now and talk about 
uh, I guess what is really, you know, the highlight of this movie, which is the plot, right? Um, and the mystery, what happened to Harlan? Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the reveals and everything that happens, but I also want to touch on the social commentary that happens here. This is something I definitely was not expecting from this movie, uh, but there's a little bit of a uh, an it, it, statement about immigration um, in the movie, which I thought was interesting and, and very well taken, ultimately. Um, Scott, what was your response to the plot? Did it all hold up and make sense to you? And did you enjoy the sort of political commentary that Ryan Johnson inserted into this film? Yeah, so for the plot, I mean, we've talked about the standout performances but I think that ultimately, as great as all those performances are, like you're either going to enjoy this movie or not enjoy this movie based on the plot and the story that Ryan Johnson constructs. Like the reason that you go see this movie isn't anyone in this cast. It's Ryan Johnson's movie. Like it really is like he as the writer director is the star of the show because everything hinges on him. And I think that the story he constructs, like I mentioned at the outset, super engaging. Uh, it keeps you it keeps you engaged with the with the story the whole time. Yes, the characters definitely help with that. Don't get me wrong, but the particulars of the individual character arcs ties in so perfect. Like everything ties back to that story, right? You don't you don't learn anything that's fluff, or at least I don't remember anything that was fluff in this movie in terms of like the characters. Uh, of course, there's like banter and a lot of banter in some ways, but it all goes back towards that central theme of all right who who did this or who could have done it or who had motives you know all those questions that you laid out uh because ultimately the story is not just about who did it because the who did it isn't that interesting um it's the who had motive who wanted who tried to do something and then what ultimately happened uh, outside of it and and i think that that does hold up really well i'm interested i am going to see this movie at least once more while it's in theaters um but i'm not I'll be interested to see if it does hold up on a second viewing because I think it held up really well as I as I think back and reflect on on that first viewing that I had. As for the social commentary, I guess I didn't really feel like there was much of a social commentary there. I'm not even sure um, what Ryan Johnson was even trying to do. So I, I guess you're going to get the chance to explain it to me in a second because it just seemed like a another facet of the plot that was that felt pretty underexplored. Uh, after all, because she is a, is a legal uh, immigrant because she's the child born here in, in the U.S. So there's no particular implications for her. But of that course, it doesn't exactly her, matter to people like the, some of the members of the family, though, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. I think that I mean, if the social commentary is what you're going for, is that people help others when it's beneficial to them and not like I don't know if that's that serious of a social commentary, but especially not from one from an immigration perspective. But I'll turn things over to you to talk about the social commentary then. Well, I just think it's sort of a uh don't be pointing out the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye sort of thing with um, how a lot of people, a lot of, you know, obviously a certain members of the, uh, the Thromby family feel this way. And a lot of Americans, you know, react very hot, you know, hostilely towards uh, people who come to this country from other countries. Um, and we see that throughout the movie, right? Like, first of all, there's this running gag about how they don't even know what country she's from, um, which is, which is funny, but is it, also, it also shows like their tone deafness. Right. Uh, and then, you know, they're suspecting the housekeeper or, I mean, they're suspecting Marta, the nurse, they're suspecting her because um, yes, because of the in inheritance, but also they're sort of, feeding their own stereotypes into, you know, the fact that the, these people come into our country and they steal our jobs and they, um, you know, try to steal. Now, now they're stealing our inheritance, you know, the thing that we rightfully earned and they didn't rightfully earn it. Right. Because these people suck. <laughs> the members of, of Harlan's family are all just terrible people. Um, and 
they are they try to explain it away by saying that you know number one maybe that um that marta like endeared herself to to harlan just so she could get the inheritance um you know they they kind of try to explain it away because they don't want to take a look at themselves and uh say that no it's actually um us who is the problem it's not this person who has come to this country legally as you pointed out who has worked hard to earn this job who has endeared herself to Harlan by working hard, by being good at her job, um, and by you know respecting him for more than just is his inheritance. Um, and so I think that there is there is something there, right? Because um, it's sort of subverting the the stereotypes that the Thrombies and a lot of Americans have about um, these immigrants and showing no, actually these people are, these are honest, hardworking people. And the problem is you. The problem is the people with the prejudices like you. And ultimately, that last shot, right, is perfect, is a perfect way to put a bow on this theme, I think, of all of the thrombies standing outside of the house, looking up. And the house, of course, now belongs to Marta. And she just yeah. stands there sipping from the mug uh, that says, my house, my rules, my coffee uh, on, on the balcony of what is now her house. And I think that's just a, a delicious way to wrap up this uh, sort of social commentary that I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I agree that the last shot is a fantastic shot because I at first they they like cut a glimpse of it right before the final shot and I was like, oh, yeah. that was a nice little shot. I I, I and I was literally thinking, I was like, oh, that would have <laughs> been a good shot to end on. I wish they'd ended on it. And then they go back to it and, and they let it linger for like ten or fifteen seconds before it does cut out. And it's like, whew, it's a good shot. Yeah, I, I guess for and, me, I I see that less of it. It is a social commentary. I guess yeah. I, I I see it. I see it. I do see like how it tangentially relates to the immigration and, aspect of it but i think more it's just it, honestly it feels more like a socioeconomic class um like a rich like rich people trying to hold on to their inheritance in there and aren't hard like aren't hard working don't earn it don't deserve it and then of course are you know cutthroat to the end as they try to like protect their wealth and protect their uh their what they deserve uh in, in air quotes of course from their perspective uh, when someone who's to your point hardworking, and, and yes of course the immigration in the story ties into that i just felt like there wasn't a very strong push towards that there you there absolutely there is the joke that you're talking about the, the gag about she's from ecuador she's from uruguay she's from paraguay she's from argentina it's just like every south american country they list basically um uh, and that and i and i think that that is definitely that's a well taken point there but i i think that for it to I, I guess it didn't land on me, at least the immigration component of it didn't land on me as much as just like these are wealthy people who are like shitty and don't don't deserve the things that their grandfather have given and father have given them. And when he gets fed up with it and they get cut out, they're all butthurt and like basically go on the offensive against everyone. Um, and there's an, there's a piece of that that's the immigration component, but other just yeah. that just feels like a broader social commentary on um, a meritocracy, so to speak, if that's. A word that could be used yeah i don't know i just feel like some of these things were definitely intentional and that last shot again is is a way to sort of tie up that particular theme i also think you know the fact that she is good at her job is relevant to the plot ultimately because Very, she's yeah. so good at her job that she is able to tell the right medication without looking at the label uh and obviously that becomes you know important um in the end with wrapping up everything that happened but i do i mean I, was that I, believable that was actually one of the parts that i was just like what that doesn't make any sense like i could tell the density and the weight of the liquid i'm just like i guess I mean, so i don't know i'm not a doctor so <laughs> yeah i sure i buy it um okay i mean i, I it, it's a little on the nose for me the immigration stuff but i think it is there throughout the movie i mean like you when when she inherits the will right like uh they 
start yelling at her. And in fact, like a couple of the characters use like pretty awful, like racial, racially uh, fueled comments against her. Um, and so, yes, I think there absolutely is an element of these people are are rich jerks who don't deserve um, what you know, who don't deserve the what they think they do. Um, but then I think you have to feed the immigration part into that a little bit that uh, they lash out and they blame it on uh, this honest, hardworking person uh, because of her nationality. Yeah, but anyway, Scott, um, let's since we touched on that, let, let let's spend just a moment talking about the reveal at the end of the the movie, which is of course that uh, Marta actually did not, um, a, as we were discussing there, Marta actually did not kill Harlan, did not give him an overdose of morphine. She gave him the right drug because she was able to tell the drugs apart um, without despite, looking at the labels, despite Ransom's efforts. And you know, I did say up front, like Ransom, he was found, you know, he was exposed for his nefarious motives, but he does kill someone, right? He does kill Fran, the housekeeper, uh, and he burns the medical examiners office down um so he, he commits plenty of crimes <laughs> yes and and i will say just on that note there i did enjoy one one of the elements of the reveal that i did like was um the revelation about what it was that fran actually said as she was dying uh, right you think that she's saying you did it like uh marta some, somehow was responsible for her death which then you find out she was actually saying hugh which is ransom's real name did it uh and i i don't know i enjoyed that yeah. um were there other parts of the reveal well was it ultimately a satisfying you know conclusion to the mystery for you scott yeah i mean so one of the things that i was kind of alluding to at the beginning with it being a smart reveal at the end or a smart tie uh, tie up of the whole plot was that it felt less of a grandstand reveal and more just like a all right here's everything that i that you had gotten piecemeal over the course of the plot that you couldn't put together uh and you know here's how it actually all fits all fits together and because they do give you everything right and so in that sense it didn't it didn't wow me the end didn't wow me i felt i i, I hesitate to say that i felt underwhelmed but it was cl certainly closer to being underwhelmed by the reveal than it was it was being you know kind of overwhelmed with how like grandstand how bombastic the finale was because it's it's not really that and i don't think that's a bad thing i fit i think that uh a lot of times people might go into this type of movie expecting a really kind of grand climax to the film and i think that there are certainly parts of the reveal that aren't necessarily tied to the reveal itself that that deliver on that and other aspects but the actual conclusion of of the plot so to speak is is a little bit it does. I don't think it leaves anything to be desired, but it's not necessarily what you might expect going into the movie. Uh, and that's the element of just Ryan Johnson showing you how smart he is with how he's crafted his story. And there's nothing wrong with that because, like I said, I think that the climax of the film, so to speak, is is sort of supplemented or complemented in other ways. Of course, with the the shot of Ana de Armas, um, of course, lying about whether Fran is still alive and then projectile vomiting onto Chris Evans's face is extremely satisfying to say the least. And then uh, the kind of the, the slow motion uh, finale of when Chris Evans like takes a knife out of the wall and, you know, lunges toward, uh, towards Marta only to find that the knife is like a, is a fake retractable knife yeah. is a prop knife. It's just hilarious because everything's like in slow motion and he realized that he's like, crap. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, so I, I talked up front about how I thought there were certain parts of it that were unsatisfying. I think for one, that Ransom is the culprit at all is a tad unsatisfying to me just because I kind of liked his character up until then. Like, yeah, okay, he's a little bit of a douche, but like. Yeah, a little bit of a playboy. 
Yeah, but like he was helping, he was ostensibly helping Marta, right? Like he was actually nice to her. He wasn't, he didn't react the same way that all of the others did when the will was read. Um, he was subverting I, the the social commentary aspect of it. Yeah, no, I mean, right. Um, it's, yeah, it's the less least insidious person, perhaps that is sometimes the most insidious, but um, that's, that's an interesting point. But I think that for that reason, I was a little, I was like, come on, I wanted it to be one of these people that I don't like from the family, or I wanted it to be all of them in cahoots somehow had, were somehow responsible for this. Uh, but ultimately we find out he does suck as much as the rest of them. Um, and that, that's fine. But I don't know. I, I, that, that part was a tad unsatisfying to me. I also think some of the stuff wasn't particularly surprising. Like that Marta actually gave him the right, right drug. Like I kind of saw that coming a little bit. I think that the way that this character is viewed, um, again, as being very honest, very hardworking, very good at her job and someone who we are supposed to sympathize with and be the, is the protagonist of the film. Like I, I always felt like maybe they were going to find a way out for her to have not actually killed Harlan. Um, and that's ultimately what they do. So that, that part was a little like, okay, yeah, fine. But then as, as we got into the reveal a little bit more as little things like, well, I did predict it, Scott, I actually predicted it to you in the theater. I still enjoyed uh, seeing it come to fruition in the end, um, which is the, the blank note that uh, is supposed to, uh, that, that uh, he, puts in the envelope and and is giving to talking to don johnson about it saying that it has in it the revelation that he uh killed uh or not killed that he cheated on his wife that he cheated on linda the jamie lee curtis character and then of course he finds the letter later and it's blank uh but i said to you i was like they have a secret language right because this is a line that jamie lee curtis uses it to your point about how there's no wasted moment in the movie like even something hurt like her saying yeah my father and i have a secret language turns out to be true because she finds that blank letter at the end she holds the lighter up to it and it reveals the actual message that yeah her husband cheated on her and i i like that i thought that was that was clever again of, of showing that um there's no there's no wasted element to the movie right like even because this occurs even after the mystery has sort of already been solved and i was like oh maybe i was actually wrong about that maybe there was nothing to that blank note then it comes to fruition and so credit ryan johnson for that no no secret language though just just normal english but in sure. invisible ink <laughs> but yeah i mean that in in its own way it is but um Okay, Scott, last question before we move into wrap up. You know, we've talked about the fact that there haven't been a lot of these types of movies recently, Murder on the Orient Express being the only one really. And we've talked about um, that we both probably think that this is a superior film to that, um, though I do enjoy Murder on the Orient Express. But uh, I was wondering, uh, how do you think that this movie stacks up? Maybe not just in the context of whodunits, but in, of sort of mystery movies that we've seen recently as a whole. You can go back to something like Searching. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other recent examples, maybe from this year. Murder uh, mystery. Yeah, murder mystery. Um, just in recent years, movies like this, um, do you think this is one of the best? Is it somewhere in the middle? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's, it's well, if we're if we're including searching, it's not the best. It's not better than searching. Um, I agree. But for different reasons, right? For completely different reasons in terms of what the movies were doing. Uh, for if if we put it more in the category of like, well, I won't say specifically like drawing room murder mysteries, although murder mystery, tech, the movie, the Netflix film with Adam Sandler and Jennifer and um, Jennifer Aniston from earlier this year certainly falls in that category. It is a drawing room murder mystery. Um, 
but if it broaden that out a little bit with more just like mystery thrillers it's it's definitely in the top tier for sure uh you know searching is a very special movie that you know there are only a handful of movies in the last decade that are better than that uh, let alone just murder mysteries um there may there probably isn't a murder mystery that's better than that um well that that's not a murder but uh, you know a mystery thriller better than that so in that sense it doesn't stack up to searching but it's i think it's not far off from it and i think it's definitely the best who done it that i can think of at all i'm better not than, sure that can, I better can than gone better girl one. you think i see i don't like gone girl and that's not like okay. i think that that movie is a bit overrated um also just there's certain elements that, that aren't worth getting into that i just don't like about that film in terms of its plot devices and and certain um ways that it progresses its story that's a that's a problem that's a problem less with the movie and more with just the source material and jillian flynn probably but uh anyway i think that it's better i mean even that i think it's much better than gone girl i know that maybe i'm in the minority there in terms of how much better it is than gone girl but better than that um i'm blanking on some other examples but it's a very very strong film and you know if you were to hand a list of movies for someone to watch who wanted to get into this type of film or who wanted to transition from reading murder mysteries to watching murder mysteries, I think this would be at the top of the list. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's in the upper tier. I don't know. See, I love Gone Girl. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think they're just such different movies that I don't know yeah. that I can compare them, even though they're both mysteries. Um, well, yeah, but, because well, I mean, one of them is a, is a very particular type of subgenre. Is very and dark. Gone Girl is much broader in its mystery yeah. thriller, like searching in some ways. Right. And, and it's it's much darker. I think searching the thing that makes totally. it so special again is that emotional um totally. heart that I think is is not quite present in some of these other movies. I would throw, I mean, under the silver lake, kind of kind of a a mystery in a ways too. Like he's, yeah. you know, trying to find what out what happened to obviously that movie kind of in in a galaxy of its own, um, in terms of what it's ultimately saying about these types of mysteries, maybe. Um, but I think that's up there in the upper tier too, for me, if we're talking about these uh, recent movies. Um, yeah. yeah it, wouldn't, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be for me, but there's no reason to rehash that. Nothing will ever compare to Zodiac when it comes to these types of movies, but um, this is, this is a, a great entry in the genre. And I hope we have more of these, uh, you know, more of the classical type of, of mystery you know, to get back into that specific sub, subgenre. More of these types of movies, I think they get a rap as being old fashioned, right? Because Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, all these books are really old. But what I think what Ryan Johnson shows here is that you can still make a great one that people um, are really going to love. And maybe even though that you know they're based off the old novels, maybe Branagh is going to continue to make some entertaining stuff with the Agatha Christie universe that he seems to be creating as well. Obviously, we have Death on the Nile coming next year. Maybe we'll have like Evil Under the Sun or something in the future. Um, who knows? But I'm looking forward to any and all types of these movies um, moving forward. Yeah, and Zodiac is so interesting because it's what? Like it's a, it's a true crime, but like crafted and told, the story is told in a way that very much ends up look, seem, is a, is, it is a yeah, because, mystery thriller. Because it's never been solved, right? Yeah, and true. obviously they, they posit a result in the movie. They posit someone who they think is the culprit, but ultimately it has never been solved. And I think that movie is so great also because of just the way that it looks at the process of solving this mystery and the toll that it takes on, uh, you know, the three characters at the heart, Dave, Rigetti, Paul Avery, and um, Robert mm -hmm. Graysmith. Anyway, that movie's incredible. It, Go watch it, it. I mean, that movie to me is more like spotlight than it is to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's fair, but which is um, not a complaint. Just, just sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was just kind of 
bundling any mystery. No, it works. No, I think, yeah. I think it's fair. All right, let's move into wrap up, Scott. Uh, what was your favorite senior moment from Knives Out? Uh, there's so many. Um, like, it's hard to even pick one, but it's going to be something with Ransom because I just think I just love that character uh, so much. It, you know, if you're going something for, for the more comedic aspect, at least, and uh, the parts where I just thought I was like, having the most fun. I mean, when, when he tells all of his family members to to eat shit, which is like his opening his opening scene in the movie. I mean, absolutely. You see it in the trailer, unfortunately. Otherwise, it would have been better, I think, in the movie. You're right. But, I mean, the fact that I'd seen that trailer so many times and I still yeah, so enjoyed that that moment where he just points to each one of them individually. He's like, eat shit, eat shit, eat shit. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely eat shit. Um, it's just absolutely, absolutely hilarious. And most of his interactions with the rest of his family in the earlier parts of the movie, or at least before the, the final act, I think are hilarious and work really well. If I went for a different direction in terms of poignant moments, I think that, you know, this movie is doesn't say lighthearted might not be the best way to put it, but it's, it's has more levity uh, than, than a lot of other uh, some, a lot of the other mystery movies that you might've been talking about. And I think one of the more poignant moments was that moment when you do realize that, you know, Harlan killed himself. Like yeah. he didn't, he didn't know it, but he is like, he killed himself. He would not have died. Uh, if if he hadn't done that, and I thought that was a that was a very nice moment because it was juxtaposed against all this other humor. And I think, uh, although it wasn't a, a very important point in the movie, so to speak, in terms of anything it was trying to say, uh, it, you know, if there is anything it was trying to say, I think it was trying to say that you know some people who think they're really smart, uh, you know, maybe aren't, aren't always that smart either, which I think ties maybe ties in with the the narrative about uh, Detective Blanc as well. And it's just interesting, like if he just hadn't been been so stubborn and like trying to be clever within in the way he died um he may he wouldn't be dead at all so that's interesting and you know you could even say if you if you're dead set on the conclusion of the whodunit being that this person killed harlan you could say that anyway ransom did end up killing him because sure. it was the fact that he mixed up the labels that led marta to say oh crap i gave you the wrong drug uh and harlan harlan's reliance on that was what ultimately led to him killing himself so Agreed. in a way ransom was responsible um yeah but no one's gonna but ransom wouldn't be held accountable for the murder for sure. that reason sure but it, like I said, if you're dead set on uh, that being the conclusion to who done it. But uh, yeah, so I've talked about a lot of my favorite moments, but to go sort of the same direction as you and talk about the humor, one of the humorous, most humorous moments, probably about the hardest I've laughed maybe all year in a movie was this bit that Daniel Craig has about donuts um, at the end of the movie when he's like explaining the... Um, explaining the mystery and and how he came to the conclusion and talking about how it's a donut hole in the middle of a, a, another donut but it turns out it's not a donut hole at all there's a hole in the middle of the donut hole it's actually a smaller donut and i'm not doing justice to it you have to really watch um the whole sort of monologue that happens but it it was it was a great uh, you know in addition to being hilarious it was a great sort of satirical moment i think of uh you know some of these other detectives who i've mentioned and the the weird analogies that they use in order to uh you know explain how they came to the conclusion or whatever uh it sort of you know subverts that turns them on their head by revealing sort of how absurd they are with it's just just this truly absurd one involving a donut but yeah that was that was hysterically funny that's right up there funniest moments of the year to me maybe with uh with the car scene with Jason Sudeikis in, uh, in Booksmart. Um, that's, that one's definitely up there as well. Yeah. But There was uh, a couple scenes from Jojo Rabbit too that were some of the yeah, hardest I've laughed yeah. in the theater. Um, yeah, so there you go. That uh, is our favorite scenes or moments. Final note, Scott, let's put that score on it. Out of 10, what would you give Knives Out? Eight point great, 8.8. 8. 
9.3 for me. I uh, really enjoyed this. Currently in my top 10 of the year. Uh, we'll see if it uh, remains there. Still a few movies to come, but uh, if it doesn't stay in my top 10, that will just show you how great of a year <coughs> this has been. Because I think this would have been comfortably, maybe even my top five from last year, um, looking back at it. Uh, I think that as this year has gone on, we were talking about this last night, Scott, this year has progressively uh, become greater than last year in movies. Um, and I look forward to our, our year in list because I think it's going to be quite a lot of bangers that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I was actually looking at this very, <laughs> the point you're, you're, you're making right there last night and looking at where this would have fallen on my list last year after we started kind of talking about that, having, having that sort of hypothetical exercise. This is number eight on my list right now. I could potentially see that changing uh, and moving up. I doubt it will move down at all uh, unless on a rewatch I'd enjoy it less. But the, I think I would put this in front of Fallout at number five from last year on my yeah. list. That's um, kind of so, yeah. that's kind of what I think too, because Thoroughbreds was my number five, and I think this is a little bit better than Thoroughbreds. Um, so probably be on number five. But yeah, there you go. That just shows you how strong of a year it's been. Um, okay, Scott, that uh, will do it for the first part of our show. That will do it for our review of Knives Out. When we come back after the break. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go through a list that I found on Collider.com this week, uh, talking about the uh, ranking every single comic book movie of the decade. Uh, and we're going to talk about maybe our thoughts on how much Collider got right or perhaps how much they got wrong in this particular list. Uh, so we'll be discussing that after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, as promised, we are going to take a look now at a list that I saw on Collider.com this week and was discussed on Collider Live on Friday uh, of every single comic book movie of the decade ranked. I thought this would just be something interesting for us to discuss um, since we review a lot of comic book movies on here. You in particular are a fan of a lot of uh, comic book movies. Um, to see how So to see how some of this stuff shaked out, at least in the eye, shook out in the eyes of Vinny Mancuso. It was a little interesting to me, starting sort of at the, towards the bottom of the list. Um, some of the movies which he had in there, Fantastic Four, Jonah Hex, um, Green Lantern, uh, Suicide Squad, Sin City, A Dane to Kill For, X-Men Apocalypse was the lowest ranked X-Men uh, movie on the uh, list. But Dark Phoenix also came in at number 48 out of 56. Scott, I know that we are both a little bit um, more a fan uh, of that movie and I, I would personally Certainly better than the Thor movies. Yes, I would put it much higher on the list, probably in the 30s somewhere. But as you've noted there, the lowest ranking MCU movie was um, Thor The Dark World coming in just behind Justice League. What do you think about these bottom 10, 11 picks? Do you think they mostly got it right, maybe outside of Dark Phoenix? Yeah, you know, as I scroll through it, like they probably have this right. I mean, I haven't seen some of these films at the bottom. Like I didn't see Fantastic Four, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. I didn't see Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. I didn't see Jonah Hex. The only, the only one I did see probably was Suicide Squad. Um, I mean, uh, I guess I mean, I've seen Apocalypse, I guess. But yeah, so like the only ones I've seen on the very bottom of this list that we just that you kind of just rattled off is Thor the Dark World, Justice League, Dark Phoenix, X-Men Apocalypse, and Suicide Squad. So like the absolute worst ones down there at the bottom, those bottom four, I haven't seen. And, you know, part of the reasons why I haven't gone back and revisited those since I've kind of started watching more movies is because 
they're not thought of as very good. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm not surprised to see them at the bottom of the list. I mean, we had this little, you, you, we had this little fun little exercise last night where I tried to guess what was at the bottom of the list, and I didn't guess any of these, and that's because I don't think of these movies because they're all bad. Like, I don't, I, there, there's no reason that they that they should come to mind, and so. Vinny, you probably got it right on the bottom half of this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've only seen a couple of these movies. Like I said, I would definitely put Dark Phoenix higher. Uh, I I might honestly think that Justice League is worse than Suicide Squad. Um, I it's think they're not. both they're both pretty bad. Um, they're both quite poor. Um, Suicide Squad is horrible, just horrible. I mean, they're they both are. Justice League is just so boring. Um, I, and I actually haven't seen Thor of the Dark World mainly because of how poorly it's thought of. But I will say that that's one of like the couple MCU movies that I haven't seen. But I will say that my least favorite MCU movie uh, did come in just above the part that I was talking about here at number 44, which is Iron Man 2. Uh, I think that movie is terrible. Uh, and Vinny Mancuso seems to agree. Um, it came in at number 44. Uh, continuing up the list. I will say that as I just scrolled through this a little bit, I'm a little bit surprised that the Amazing Spider-Man movies are so down on this list. Like, I, I know relative to Homecoming and some of those, you know, the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies that they're not as good. And I haven't seen them, but I was just looking at, like, their Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes uh, like, over the summer when we were when, uh, right ahead of uh, Far From Home. And, like, they're, ha- they're, they're decently reviewed movies. They, they don't compare to the first two Sam Raimi movies or Homecoming or Far From Home. But I mean, they're nothing like at least if you go and look at some of the the Metacritic and, and Rotten Tomatoes scores for some of these other movies at the bottom of the list. Well, I'd be curious to know sort of what the audience scores in some of those are, because I think that Collider, more than a lot of media outlets, tries to write more from a fan's perspective than it does a critic's perspective. Um, and so I think they may be looking at it from that perspective, because like I don't like The Amazing Spider-Man. I never saw The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I think that, to your point, if we think about all of the Spider-Man movies that have been made recently, which is a lot, I think both of these movies would be considered in the bottom tier along with Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Um, and I, I think, for me, every other Spider-Man movie that has been made has been better than these movies. Yeah, I mean, so the audience score for the first Amazing Spider-Man is 80%, almost, okay. 77%, uh, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. The second one dips a little bit. It's a 52% Rotten Tomatoes score and a 65% audience score. I just, I don't think that that's, I mean, is that comparable really to what's one right next to it? Like, like the Wolverine. I thought that movie was absolutely panned. Um, and Age of Ultron. Like, I think I like Age of Ultron. I don't remember what it was, but I don't think that movie yeah. was that good. So you mentioned it there. The, the middle of this list here, we're getting to sort of some of the mid tier MCU movies, I guess. Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, Thor, Ant-Man and the Wasp are all back to back there. Um, I pretty much agree with those being there, except I would put Iron Man 3 higher. I know a lot of people don't like it because it feels like more of a Shane Black movie. Um, but, you know, I... I've kind of been always been the person and I've said this with star Wars too, where I'm like, I just want a good movie. I don't care if it like perfectly fits with what's going on. I want a good movie. Uh, And I think Iron Man three is a good movie. So um, moving a little bit higher Incredibles two, I was surprised came in at number 34 Um, surprised, but not displeased probably no, because I, you know, I think this movie is just fine. Uh, Probably one of my biggest, bigger surprises here in the bottom part of the list is that Venom was at number 33, pretty high, uh, if you consider the movies that are below it. Uh, if well, you consider- audience score is 80% of that, so if you take your collider theory about writing from the fans' perspective. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah. Um, Teen Titans go to the movie at 
go to the movies at number 32, the original Ant-Man coming in at 31, uh, moving up the list a little bit. Doctor Strange cracking the top 30. Then the first Deadpool. This is one of the interesting things. I thought that Deadpool 2 ended up coming in higher on the list. I agree with that. I like Deadpool 2 more. Uh, but I don't know that most fans of these movies would agree. What do you think about that, Scott? Uh, so I like both the Deadpool movies uh, for different reasons. So I think that one of the things that we talked about on our Deadpool 2 review last year was that the first Deadpool really had one kind of joke. It was you know a different variation of the same joke for two hours. And that worked for me really well. I didn't get too tired of it. But if the second movie had done that, that would have been really boring. And the second movie's humor evolves a lot and is a lot more, I think, self-deprecating in more interesting ways than the first movie was able to do. And so, yeah, I don't think I would have had an argument I, like about which one was higher or the other because I enjoyed both of them. I think I gave both of them four stars. Uh, at least on Letterboxd, I don't because I didn't. We didn't obviously didn't score uh, the original Deadpool movie, but yeah, I, I liked both of them, and I think that you can make arguments for one being better than the other both ways. Yeah, no, I I, I liked the second one more just for those reasons you said. I thought it was more varied in its humor, um, so I was glad to see that on the list. Something I wasn't glad to see, however, even though I've never seen this film, uh, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice coming in at number twenty six on the list. Yeah, um, it, it it does feel like at times to me that this list, they were like, we got to include like we have to rank like we have to like look at the DCEU and like have like the best DCEU movies up with the you know, the top tier movies like just because it is the best DCEU movie does not mean it is a top 10 comic book movie or top 15 comic book movie any I think the DCEU sucks. So um, these movies, even the best one, which is Wonder Woman may not even crack my top 20. Um, moving up the list, Spider-Man Far From Home, coming in at number 25. Uh, probably one of the worst decisions to me was Man of Steel coming in at number 24. Can't stand Man of Steel. Um, but again, I think- Yeah, it, I mean, BVS is better than Man of Steel. I mean, I you think, didn't get me, you didn't get didn't let me say my piece about, I was no. happy that justice for Batman versus Superman. No, I, I think this movie should be happy that it's at half, halfway yeah. up this list. <laughs> like, I will say that I, I find it funny that the first line, so the first line of this piece about BBS was funny to me. There is a great movie inside of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, screaming to be let out beneath a mountain of wankery. <laughs> a mountain what? of wankery. All right. Um, thank Get you. An editor. Get an editor, Vinny. Yeah, Man of Steel. See, again, this is one of those things where it's like, well, it's the third best DCEU movie or whatever. Like that may be what most people consider. So it deserves to be like, you know, in the top third of the list. No, that's not what that means. Like not all superhero franchises are on the same playing field. Um, Joker at number 23, also don't agree with that, of course. And Captain Marvel at number 22, kind of a bad streak there for Vinny, for sure. Um, definitely <laughs> would put those in the bottom, bottom third of my list. Uh, Deadpool 2 at number 21, as we mentioned. Captain America, the first Avenger. This is a movie that is not one of my favorite MCU movies, but does seem to be beloved by the people over at Collider, and it makes the top 20 at number 20. Um, again, not one of my favorites. Yeah, and I'm sure his his uh, his collaborators over at Collider are pissed at him for having it so low. Yeah, that's true. Adam Chitwood and Matt Goldberg really seem to think that that's you know, maybe the best MCU movie. Um, X-Men First Class, which is my favorite X-Men movie, is the second highest X-Men movie on this list at number 19. Yeah. Um, the Dark Knight Rises, um, that is a movie that would probably be in my top 10, um, maybe even top five. I love The Dark Knight Rises, even though um, most people think it is the weakest in the trilogy, and that might be the case. 
but it's still a really freaking good is that movie. True. I think most people think Batman Begins is the weakest. I don't know. I think that in in recent years, people have come around more on Batman Begins. Like I know that I personally think have come around in the last couple of years to thinking that Batman Begins is maybe a little bit better. But I mean, it's the best superhero trilogy of all time. It's not even close. It's one of the best trilogies of all time. Uh, and I think The Dark Knight Rises is a top ten movie on this list, even if it is about you know number three in the trilogy um, yeah I, I i yeah i mean that's i mean that's a great point i just feel like it they're all i mean their metacritic scores are like all basically the same i'm pretty sure but i just remember like people being like almost kind of forgetting about batman begins and how good it was because i i thought it for me i thought dark Knight rises was definitely the third best movie in that trilogy of course third best in this case being better than all the DCEU movies. Right. Uh, <laughs> but according to Vinnie Mancuso, apparently not better than Shazam, yeah. which comes in at number 17. Or Wonder um, Woman. Or Aquaman. Yeah, well, we're not even there yet. But uh, Shazam does not deserve to be anywhere near the top 20 on this list. Spider-Man Homecoming, I enjoy. It's at number 16. I, would put, I thought Far From Home was better, um, so I would put it higher. But um, I think I that... Homecoming. I think, and I think that's most fans' perspective. Scott Pilgrim coming in at number 15. I'm happy to see that. Forgot um, that was this decade. Yeah. I think that was all the way back in 2010, probably. Um, Edgar Wright, always a joy to watch. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, maybe a little bit more controversial coming in at number 14. Scott, I know you don't like this movie, um, but it is relative lower. to a lot of the other MCU movies. Uh, yeah. I know it is lower than Guardian, the first one, which I know that you love. Uh, number 13, highest rated X-Men movie, X-Men Days of Future Past. I don't have a huge problem with that. It's probably my second favorite after first class. That's um, the popular opinion, too, I think, at yeah. this point. It, I think they did a great job in that movie of bringing the old cast back, um, and it was really enjoyable. Aquaman at number 12, perhaps the most stunning, uh, you know, inclusion on this list in terms of where it's placed. Um I just don't understand from a visual perspective, maybe. Um, but it seems to me that they just liked the insanity of this movie, um, which I did. I could, I never really got on board with because I thought it was still took itself way too seriously for a movie that has like drum playing squids and pit bull, you know, songs playing as Aquaman comes out of the ocean. Mr. Um, Worldwide, I think is what you meant to say. Yeah. And rounding out the top, uh, the 20 to 11 guardians of the galaxy. The first one, Scott, you might, I know you might actually have this one a little bit higher. Um, oh yeah. I would have this higher for sure. Top 10 wonder woman, which yes, is by far the best DCEU movie, but does still not deserve overrated to be on this list. Yes. Yeah. The, the ending of the movie, very disappointing. Captain America, winter soldier. Great choice. I think at number nine, one of my favorite MCU movies, um, the Avengers, another one of my favorite coming in at number eight, probably uh, overrated on this list, but yes. And continuing with that, Captain America Civil War, another one of my favorite MCU movies at number seven. I think they were pretty good with uh, with how they ranked the MCU here for the most part. I might shuffle around some of those in the middle. But then you had Infinity War at number six. Agree with that. Um, Logan at number five. Uh, Scott, that uh, you may or may not know this, but I've never seen Logan, actually. Um, Whoa, I didn't know that. So actually, this is the highest rated X-Men movie, I guess, technically. Um even though it only focuses I on I did not know that you hadn't seen Logan. Yeah, I need to see this movie. Um, everyone seems to love it. I, Especially I don't think, James Mangold. I mean, yeah, putting it at number five, I don't think he's out of touch with what um, people think about Logan. Yeah, I, I don't know if it'd be... I mean, it would definitely be my top ten easily. I'd have to think about I'd have to really th sit down and think about it, but I don't have any problems with this being number five. It's a fantastic movie. 
Black Panther at number four. Uh, Scott, I understand why it's this high on the list because of what it represents, but as a movie, I think that I would put it more towards the middle. It was it's it's a mid tier MCU movie for me. Um, it, it's higher for me, um, and, and I, I guess it always depends on how you're forming forming your list. I mean, this list is supposed to be worst to best, not most influential. Yeah, uh, obviously, that's why I think that that Vinny here has maybe fallen victim to things that are influential with uh, putting a movie like the Avengers in the top 10 and uh, also black Panther for that matter. I mean, black Panther may still, may still have snuck into my top 10 list. Uh, Cause I do love this film. I think that it, there are some really strong uh, great performances. And I think the story is an action is super engaging and different in a way, which you can go back and listen to our black Panther review. I think they did a yeah. lot of different things that made this movie really good and also different from a lot of the other MCU movies. Uh, but I think that if you factor out its cultural relevance and cultural importance, these might fall a little bit further down the list in favor for of some other movies. Top three, Scott. Number three, Thor Ragnarok, a movie that I plan on watching very soon. On I still Plus. can't. You haven't seen two of the top five on this list. Uh. Have you seen Doctor I, Strange yet? Is it Doctor Strange one of the other ones you haven't Doctor seen? Doctor Strange, Thor of the Dark World, and Thor Ragnarok. Those are the ones I haven't seen. You can skip um, Dark World. Don't worry. Yeah. No, I plan on it. Um, that's it. Number three. People love this movie. People love what Taika did. Um, so maybe a lit, a tad higher than I expected, but not surprised to see it crack the top 10. And then Scott, I have to say Vinny finishes on a strong note. I think he got the top two right and in the right order. Um, yeah, Avengers, Avengers Endgame at number two. Um, obviously, we love this movie, Scott. It's in our top tens of the year. You can go back and listen to our review of it. Uh, and then number, number one, I agree, Scott. The best comic book movie of the decade and the best one since The Dark Knight, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, you agree with how that shook out in the end? Yeah. I mean, I can't complain about it. Those top two are just some of the best movies of the decade, period. Um, I think both of them might make my top my top ten list for the decade. Um, we'll see. I have to go. I need to update my decade list. Uh, with some more recent movies that have been uh, put out there. But I think when we did the podcast, I think they were both in my top 10. If not, Into the Spider-Verse just missed out of the top 10. Uh, I'm not sure. But it fantastic. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. I'm, I might have flipped it, um, but I have zero complaints whatsoever with the, with the top two order here. Yeah, so there you have it. Uh, fun discussion there of uh, all of the comic book movies of the decade ranked. Um, if you have thoughts on this, let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, or let Vinny know. <laughs> Or let Vinny know, um, but let him know in a in a nice way because the internet can be a brutal place. Um, don't be a troll. Just let him know that, you know, Vinny. I think you should watch Man of Steel again and put it at number fifty six because it's the worst movie on this list. Um, or or don't or don't watch it again. You haven't seen Fantastic Four though. Okay, Scott. That should just about do it um, for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Um, even if you can't support us, don't forget to rate, uh, review, subscribe, uh, do all of the things on your podcast app of choice uh, where you can find all of our podcasts, including the Star Wars Countdown, which you're getting down to the end of, uh, and our other podcasts as well. Um and we hope you will come back and join us for our next episode on which we will be reviewing Noah Baumbach's Netflix drama, Marriage Story. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. See you, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Yeah.